0: This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Walkers? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. Colin's out, Heath, green chilies in New Mexico, tore his stomach up. So it's just me and uh, me and Kevin from JetRock Analytics today. What's up, man?
1: Hey, how are we doing? doing good bud. are you from houston i did grow up outside of houston okay uh, shout out to pecan grove okay uh, okay yeah where are you at now in austin
0: okay yeah you so a lot, lot of
1: oil and gas data in austin
0: yeah tons of, i mean obviously you get the the big guys out there and you get formerly drilling info offset of austin
1: yeah and to go right so i used me and my co-founder we worked at drilling info before starting Jet rocks so that's really our, that's our pedigree yeah
0: ah okay yeah this okay that makes more sense now okay really quickly so before we get into that what is what is JetRock Analytics for everybody listening?
1: Yeah, so JetRock, what we do, we work with mainly with upstream oil and gas companies with with the goal to help them manage what they measure is the real simple version of that. So uh, the operators, they, they have data divided up among a bunch of different data systems. You have your accounting data, your field data, geology, land. Uh, what we we do, we come in, we act as the analytics group for that company. So we're like the connective tissue that brings all those different data sets mm-hmm. together uh, into a centralized location. And then like my half of the company is to put analytics on top of that, whether that's uh interactive business intelligence dashboards, like through Spotfire or power BI, or uh, there's definitely a group of people that just want like alerts in their inbox, like PDF mm-hmm. or Excel based. And so we do all that. So we handle the analytics pipeline from acquiring the data getting into a centralized location and then producing like the colorful charts that people actually get excited about mm-hmm. um so handle it from from end to end and uh yeah we're relatively small like we work with about a dozen companies right now like but we're the we're their group uh doing all kinds of different analytics projects we've been doing this since 2015.
0: Interesting. So I'm um, we talking a little bit before we start recording about my background and stuff. Maybe we'll go into that on this podcast. So sorry if you've heard that story a million times over the last four years. Um, but I mean, I'm curious on the notification side, right? So you said, for one, you know, there's dashboards, right? And everybody's got Spotify these days or, or Power BI, things like that, right, that they love to use. But what's interesting is you said also possibly sending it to the, uh, to the inbox and either getting PDFs or other sorts of notifications. Have you guys done any work with uh, like Slack because we use we use Slack as for when it's all of our internal communication. That's kind of the primary use. However, secondary that we've we've really built every single one of our tools that we use, almost every single one of them, from the CRM to the marketing tools to the website to the chatbot on the website, to anything mm-hmm. that's really moving and there's sort of notifications. all of those notifications flow through Slack and notify the respective teams. And so like everybody has visibility into everything that moves.
1: Yeah, so we have, we have a client who uses Slack and those email notifications, that goes out to people's inboxes, but we also email it to a Slack channel. Okay. And then that distributes out. I don't, I don't use Slack myself, so I don't really know like oh, what picks around inside of that.
0: Wait a second, wait, you're telling me you're a tech guy and you're not using Slack? What do you guys, what do you guys use for communication?
1: Uh, we, uh, Gchat. Like Gchat, we're a, we're okay. oh, yeah. a Google-based yeah, yeah. approach. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. That and actually Asana, like I'll, yeah, yeah I don't get paid by Asana, but like I, I love, <laughs> I love that it's task management software. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can comment on tasks and stuff in there. So we we use that more as like our moment to moment messaging. Yeah,
0: particularly if you guys are like developers, that makes more sense, right? As opposed to just hopping on. Yeah, we mm-hmm. uh, obviously we're not a development shop or anything, so we don't have, um, you know, an Asana or Jira or anything like that. Uh, so everything makes more sense in and, and Slack. But it's interesting. Like I know. In the, especially on the oil and gas side, Microsoft is definitely kind of like the dominant player here. Everybody's on the Microsoft suite. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's Teams, right? Which they have their, uh, their product that's very similar to, I don't know if it's Teams itself or if it's, it has a different name that's very similar to, to Slack and a lot of the same kind of functionality.
1: Yeah. A lot of our clients use Teams. We just, we started with Gmail and yeah. just, it's it's hard to make the switch. Like we, we like that approach. We do use, we use Microsoft for like our, our cloud hosting stuff. Like we use Azure for, for all that sort of thing. So mainly we're Microsoft based. Yeah.
0: So let's go into your background. So now you talked about inverse, but let's go back like, even before that, like, how'd you get into the industry?
1: Uh, so way, way back I started, so I went to UT for undergrad, uh, started out working in the aerospace industry for orbital sciences, actually designing satellites, like stuff going up to the international space station. Wait, how'd you get into that? Uh, ne- nepotism, like pure nepotism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, my, my uncle was an astronaut. Okay. Uh, so I got to go, like when I was a kid, I got to go to a couple of, of space launches. That's awesome. Uh, and in, I was at mechanical engineering for undergrad and he made a phone call for me to, to Johnson space center and help me get an internship. Um, so I, I've done that. I, I managed, I, he, he helped me get the first internship. I did it. I was able to go back two more times. So they must've liked me enough that, yeah. you know, it was worth keeping me on and, um, space is still a big interest to mine um, coming from Houston. Like I'm, I've kind of like followed like the two main yeah. you know, space and oil and gas are kind of the two, <laughs> you know, two big things if you're from Houston. Um,
0: so was it, was it, do so, you lose interest in or not like lose interest, well, yeah, but like, you know, like career two, wise, you just want to yeah. go a different.
1: So I'd say like 2008 when like oil was at $147 a barrel, yeah. like during that spike, I, I really got intrigued by just the the international implications, you know, people talk about like how it touches every aspect of life. Like
0: did any of your family come from oil? Uh,
1: no, actually, okay. no, uh, construction and, and yeah. So that's, that One is a few people that are not Yeah, yeah oil, like, oil I like mean, gas. a lot of
0: people are definitely like at least second generation, if not like third, fourth, fifth generation. So it's always interesting. Like me, I mean, technically my grandfather worked for, worked for El Paso energy, but he was a, a civil engineer. So, I mean, he mm-hmm. was just, you know, building platforms and stuff like that. Um, but nobody else in my family ever worked at energy at all. And so I was like the first one. So it's interesting. Yeah, my family's
1: more like beer based. Beer based?
0: <laughs> what do they, they work for Anheuser-Busch or uh, something? So
1: my great grandfather and then grandfather, they owned a Miller beer distributorship okay. like around Victoria, like yeah. south, south. And I actually they supply like a lot of the Eagle Ford area. Okay. Um, I think recently they sold out sort of like to the larger corporate entity. But growing up, it was a lot of. Like you couldn't drink Budweiser, like it had yeah. Miller products. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't answer your initial question of like, yeah. how did I actually get into oil and gas? So, uh, the the energy situation, like late in the late two thousands, really got me interested. I was thinking about going to grad school after having done it undergrad. Uh, so I actually was able to go to MIT for grad school for a master's degree, but it was focused on solar energy. And so my first uh, job out of college was doing uh wind and solar energy analysis for a company in austin okay. um like a, a consulting company where the, the the point of that was for a wind or solar project to get financed the bank would require like an independent energy assessment and yeah. so i was at the time i was kind of a number monkey like you'd spend a month like grinding on uh, a bunch of data and then come up with a report that yeah. they could use to get their financing uh which i learned a lot but it was very it was very structured and there wasn't a lot of room for creativity so i was applying for other jobs. I was in Austin. Uh, Drilling Info had an opening in their analytics group, so I was able to make the leap there. Um, so jump from the renewable side to so the what, gas what year side. Was,
0: what what's your, year was the transition for you?
1: Uh, 2012, I think, is when I started at okay. Drilling Info.
0: Okay. So Drilling Info had already been around for,
1: uh, I don't really know how long at that point. 10, 12, 12 years at okay. that point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I was started working in the analytics group. Uh, drilling info. It was a small; there was four or five guys. How um, big was
0: how big was the company at that time?
1: I think like 400 people. So it was really? pretty okay. big, but yeah, it's it gotten super... way it's gotten way bigger since yeah. then. Uh, and i I shared like a, a cube pod with Justin Birmingham, who's my co founder at okay. Jet Rock. So we would both get in kind of early in the morning before most other people, and so we'd have, uh, you know, both time to you know work work on projects that we were both involved in, but we were also able to just kind of talk about a lot of different things in in life and that sort of thing we formed uh you know a good working relationship there so eventually justin stepped out on his own to start doing consulting Uh, so justin is more uh, he's more of a data engineer so building etls writing views to bring different uh, data sources together so he does that work and then feeds it to me and i'm more the the i call myself an analytics engineer it's kind of the title that i've uh, you know bounced around with a couple of different ones um but i'm the one who like makes like the pretty charts and dashboards. Um, but you know, shout out to Justin, like you can't, you can't do any of that unless you do like the 75% of the work to get the data right first. Um, so Justin and I worked together. He, yeah, he went off, um, to start consulting for uh, an upstream operator. Um, <clears throat> and then after a year we, you know, we've been kind of talking off and on decided I would join him and we, and we started jet rock. And so what year was that? Uh, 2015. Okay. So yeah, we're, we're seven, almost eight years into it. Great time. Everything's crashing in 2015. Uh, it hadn't, it, 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 cr- it started crashing. I feel like it really started crashing like six months after we started. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of been, cra- like, it's never not been crashing, right? Like yeah. as, as soon as it stops crashing, it starts <laughs> crashing again. Um, so we started out with one client. Uh first couple of years we were mainly doing like business development type work with public data sources like Enveris, mm-hmm. IHS, those sorts of things, helping companies um, evaluate op- op- operator's acquisitions, what are people doing with spacing, mm-hmm. uh you know what landing zones should be be targeting, EURs, all those sorts of things. Definitely still do that. Um but in the last 3 3 years or so like the industry has very much shifted towards uh, internal data analysis. So that's like, we call it financial and operations data, FinOps. Um, so that's tying together things like their accounting data with their reservoir engineering data, with uh, field cost estimates, tank volumes, their their land, like expirations. Companies have, so this gets into kind of like the main thrust of, of what we do now is, uh, yeah, companies have these, all these different data sources. So we don't, we don't sell like a software package We are a team that comes in, hooks all those different softwares together into um, a a data structure in Azure that, Mm -hmm. that we've that we can come in and deploy. That's all fairly automated or like we we can just come in and start hooking up things. But then we have a custom front end where if you want Spotfire, we'll build Spotfire. If your CEO is old school and he wants he has like an Excel format that needs to be matched, like we generate that and send it out to him. Um, cause we've definitely found over the years, like there can be an initial wave of like business intelligence, like we're going to use these tools and like the CEO might say that and people nod their head and, and maybe a couple people do like, there's definitely people that, that it, there's, a I get a ton of value out of that type of software. And so do people at, there are people at the companies that do that, but there's also people who really, they don't want to learn anything new and they, but they want to know which wells are down which or which wells are underperforming or uh you know i need to know when we overrun our afes that sort of thing and so that's where we've several years ago we started doing both where if you just want like a nice pretty pdf report that goes to four people in the morning we generate that uh you can have the equivalent type of work in spotfire um so that you can kind of more dig into the details which you can't do in a pdf report but having both of those pieces is really, it allows you to touch a lot more parts of the company. Mm-hmm.
0: So how, how did you, so the initial leap, was that just kind of through word of mouth or maybe existing clients and stuff like that? And then how does, how does like BD kind of like evolve for you guys over time? The, what do you mean the initial leap? The initial leap of going from, you know, you guys in various to, to doing your own thing. Um, and you know, you said your partner was already consulting with, with an mm-hmm. EP there. And then how did you guys grow from like beyond the one client?
1: Yeah. So until a year ago, it was all word, word of mouth. So it was uh, we had a client, thankfully, like with like with steady, you know, steady initial money coming in. And then um actually, so we have uh several of our initial or early clients. We have a, a partner uh who owns an IT consulting company and he has a stable of oil and gas companies. So he mm-hmm. like when people express frustration about their data or want to be able to do more, he could say, Hey, I know some people you can talk to. Yeah. Uh and so he was able to help us get several early clients. Um, We've been able to return the favor since then Mm -hmm. of like, you know, people that are our clients, we can pass his way for, for it services. Um, So that was actually, that was huge because, you know, a couple of smart guys in a room writing code does won't sell a lot of products. Like if that's, if that's your, uh, your main approach. So uh, yeah. So, so Peter, the, whose company is robo it consulting services, uh, he helped us definitely get off the ground. Uh, then we benefited a lot from just the expansion of the industry. We would have people who would be like a CFO or COO of one of the old and like one of our current clients would leave, start a new company, get PE funding, and Mm -hmm. then bring us in. So we kind of rode that wave. Um, and then about a year ago, we actually hired a, like a a director of business development. Mm -hmm. So actually focused on meeting people meeting people like starting conversations rather than just them have you know occasionally they spontaneously yeah come our way it, it, it's still a lot of word of mouth though like a, a new client that we're going to start with at the beginning of the month it was just uh you know somebody that we had worked with before they had they had moved on to another company a conversation happened and they called us mm-hmm. so that's i mean that's that's the best yeah marketing that you can get it's it's hard to it's hard to hit the accelerator on yeah. that because conversations kind of happen at their own pace. But um that's we've grown, yeah, you know, one company at a time. So like I said, we're we're working with twelve right now. Okay. Um, a year ago it was six. Uh, like after that's good like growth. the after the pan uh, when yeah, you know, when COVID hit and everybody pulled back, we lost I think two clients. So mm-hmm. we had been kind of like in the eight client range for a while. Um, but yeah, we've we've doubled in size in the last year. So that's
0: what, what's the team been, two? What's what? How, how big is your team now?
1: Uh, we're seven employees. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So we're pretty small team. Like we're very, very focused on doing things efficiently. I mean, yeah. we're all about automation. So there's not a lot of busy work yeah. around to, to bring on more headcount. Absolutely. Um, everybody so wo- it, is it
0: mostly like a like retainer basis or is it like on a project basis? It's a,
1: yeah. It's fixed fee. We've okay. one of like the, the kind of the core like lessons of, of trying to run a consulting business that we've adopted is like, We don't, we don't work on an hourly basis. We don't work on a project basis. Like we need to find customers that want to partner with us Mm -hmm. over really over the life of their company. And that's, that's how it, it generally works with our clients. Um, That way. Yeah. It's a, it's a fixed fee every month, just based on like Mm -hmm. the, like the general scope of what we're working on.
0: Is the scope usually the same across companies or is it different?
1: I mean, the main division is whether we're just doing FinOps, like the internal data analysis, or we're also doing business development work. So that would be helping them evaluate deals and Mm -hmm. and pulling in those public data sources. Um, That's the main dividing line. Um, But in general, we want the engagement to be as open as possible where any idea or problem they have, they just email. Like we want to be part of the team Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to, there's definitely other approaches where like every time a company needs something done, they have to negotiate a scope of work. And, you know, it, it ends up being this big, like, there's a lot of friction involved in actually getting that work done. Yeah. So, and I don't know if you're, you're old enough to remember, but, uh, with remember like America online used to be yeah. the main thing. There was a time where you paid by the minute and then they, they introduced this new, like for 20 bucks. I think it was 20 bucks a month. It was unlimited time. And it like crashed. AOL, because like once you remove that, that sort of like, Oh, like I feel mm-hmm. the meter ticking, people got a lot more comfortable in using it and used it way more. Um, and that's the approach that that we take. It's like people with their employees, like you don't think about paying them like every hour. You're just you're a resource that we have mm-hmm. uh to solve the you know the problems that our company has. And that's that's how we we line ourselves up.
0: So are you working with EMPs specifically?
1: Mainly. Uh yeah. Upstream operators, uh, we also we have a couple of mineral buying companies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've we've worked with several uh, midstream companies in the past, but the our main bread and butter are like pre- PE backed upstream. Okay. So that's operators.
0: that's kind of like yeah, that's like the bulk of what you guys work with.
1: Yeah, because I think you need to be big enough where you have a bunch of data and yeah. money to spend, but not so big that you have like a twenty person analytics team that yeah. that wants to do the stuff themselves.
0: What are the so I mean, you guys are in the weeds with these companies every day, uh, and have been for for quite some time. What are some of the biggest challenges that you see that they are facing from? from the stuff that you guys are seeing, obviously from like the, the tech side, the data side, things like that. And and how has that kind of evolved over the
1: last couple of years? So one thing that comes to mind is understanding like what money have we spent that there can be a long lag before, um, if you're waiting for your, your, your field expenses to show up in your accounting system, that can be 30, 60, 90 days after the fact. So you could have a huge cost overrun on a drilling project and you're, you're happily like drinking your coffee in the morning. Yeah. uh, Unaware of it until projects over the rig's gone. And then you're watching your, your, uh, your total spend in your accounting system, like go up and up and up. And you're just wondering like, when is this going to stop? Like the work already happened. Like the, the knowledge could, could be there. So
0: nobody moving to an accrual basis and capturing field expenses live.
1: Well, so I, I mean, that's part of what we're, what we're doing it depends on what data sources the the companies yeah. have, but it's the way to do that. The way to get more live with it is to combine like your field, like your field cost estimates, like your field tickets mm-hmm. with your with your accounting system, so that you can have okay. We yesterday we spent twenty five thousand dollars, and and then the report goes out the next day saying that reconcile the AFEs. Yeah, well, so you're what you're talking about there is like so we do an AFE tracker mm-hmm. for a bunch of companies, so the three main numbers to compare your, your AFE budget, your county actuals, and then your field cost estimate. So the mm-hmm. field cost estimate should be the most up to date, but companies that aren't necessarily great, like the field guys aren't necessarily great about putting in all the expenses. Yeah. Um, so one of the reports we generate, it's got those three numbers like you're, it usually comes out once a week. That's probably the right cadence, um, that the people want to see it. Uh, but one of the flags in the report is, are your actuals higher than your field estimates? Because that should never be the case because the the money spent, uh, the people in the field know about it before the accountants do. Yeah. Um, so that's one way of saying, that's one way of flagging that you're not doing as good of a job as you could on data entry. Like people are spending money without actually entering into the system. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of gets into, like part of what we do too is helping companies QC their own work. Um, so sending out alerts when... Uh, Something like that happens or if uh, like with open invoice, like if an invoice fails to load, they don't necessarily know that. But like this file deep in the weeds gets generated. Mm -hmm. And so I've got a a process that goes in. It looks for, okay, are there any new uh, any new versions of uh, any new files in this folder? And if there are send it to the accounting team so they know that a a file they uploaded didn't make it into the system like that's, it's pretty basic stuff. But if like, if, if you think you're uploading things and you're not, then you start getting vendors calling saying like, why are my invoices being paid? And it's a whole, it's a tricky process to, to unwind it, to figure out like, well, what happened?
0: So any, any other big issues that you've seen in the last couple years?
1: Uh, any other big issues? I mean, the, the other, it's, it's really like keeping a tight rein on your expenses. So everybody wants uh, an interactive LOS Mm -hmm. so that they can cut it from company level down to the individual well level Um, downtime and well underperformance is something we do for Mm -hmm. a bunch of companies. So that's taking your uh, like underperformance would be taking your, your daily actuals with your, your reserves forecast, which live in two different, they live in two, two different systems. And so if you're just relying on your reservoir engineers, it's not so easy to get that data together, to see it, and also to do that on a repeated basis. I mean, you might be able to twist people's arms to pull something together for you once if you're the CEO, but mm-hmm. you, maybe you get that once a month. So we've tapped in, like we tap into both those data sources, uh, generate a report on a daily basis that you're seeing how well your wells are performing against your forecast. It's easy to flag the ones that are underperforming. Um, you pair that with like a downtime report. So like which wells are down? Why are they down? Um, Again, some of that seems kind of basic, but it's getting it out of the various like bespoke data systems that they live in and getting it to everyone else in the company. Like there's, there's typically, there's like one person who really knows how to use like each one of the softwares And if it's not that person doing the work, everyone else has to just kind of email them and ask like, hey, what's going on here? So Mm -hmm. it's very, it's slow. It's kind of opaque. Uh, Yeah. yeah. So so
0: since you guys are going in and like, uh, you know, essentially bringing together all these different data silos, are there any like new softwares, new technologies that some of these companies are starting to use or you're starting to see kind of pop up more and more? Um, Hmm
1: so there's some new like on the reservoir engineering side you'll see there's some like older incumbents like aries and phd win Mm -hmm. getting challenged by like combo curve yeah um so you see new like every one of our clients has a different combination of data sources and that's part of why there's a role for us is that if there was just one version of if everyone had just the exact same software it would be fairly easy for like a really big company to come in and build a c- connector but everyone's yeah. got their own favorite things um so other new softwares coming in so uh, another thing so esg is i, I want to bring it up just because like it there's a lot of talk about it i'll say that there's been some dabbling on interacting with esg ESG data sets or generating it out of their own data, but it, I'd say it's pretty tepid. Like I think yeah. everyone everyone's in the mode of kind of doing what whoever above them says they have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll say that's one that I haven't seen, like for for all like the talk about it, I haven't seen a lo- a ton of movement on it.
0: I think there's there's a lack of kind of clear guidance for one, like what's yeah. actually going to be regulated. Two, there's no standards, there's been a lot of people that are coming into this space. But naturally, nobody really wants to be the one who's kind of out front in the space. Everybody wants to kind of be middle of the pack. And so we're kind of waiting to see what's going to kind of gain market share and gain adoption, right? So.
1: Yeah, that's I was I was at a, I went to an ESG conference earlier this year to just try to absorb more of what was going on. And my, one of my takeaways is like everybody's kind of waving their hands at this. Like nobody, even the people that are like presenting, it doesn't seem like anybody's really figured out what we're supposed to do here. It's like what what's expected of the industry like we're not we're aware of it but we're not really sure like what what we need to get done
0: i mean i think it starts with tracking right you know particularly if it's like hey we want to track kind of our own emissions and then and subsequently reduce those or decarbonize our operations however you want to put it It starts with tracking right and so lots of sensors um but then from there once you have that you know you're able to actually quantify and then from there put together some sort of remediation plan to be able to um, to lower that. I think it's I saw a stat this last week um, that I thought was really interesting. The uh, oil and gas climate initiative, OGCI, is a consortium of, I don't know exactly how many, probably like 15, 20 of the world's largest ENPs. And since 2017, they've collectively lowered their emissions by 40% by investing $40 billion in, in a lot of different things. So there's things that are happening, but yeah, I think that particularly if you're working with like the the, the private equity backed companies don't have the luxury of having like tens of thousands of people like a lot of these these larger super majors mm-hmm. do, and so they don't necessarily have yeah the bandwidth to be able to even kind of focus on things like that unless it's something that is like packaged up, buttoned up, ready to go, you know, and you can kind of deploy that very very easily.
1: Yeah, and so I, I, two other things came to mind. So one, um, there's companies that sell like satellite imagery, like image, like they're doing. We're not doing this ourselves, but there's companies that do like machine learning, like looking for pad development, that sort of thing. We have companies that are sort of trying to get ahead of the drill bit Mm -hmm. Uh, before before you have permits filed with the railroad Commission. You have pending permits that are filed that you get like a day or two before before that is they're out there maybe doing some dirt work. Um, So those are data sets that we've started integrating recently that clients have signed up for. Um, I lost my train of thought again. there was a second, and what's the other new thing? Oh, actually, uh, I'm sure like uh, you probably had a bunch of guests that you talk about like crypto and Bitcoin. Yeah. We've got, there's a group of guys that they used to be an, an operator, or they, they used to be part of one of our clients. They've gone out and done more like like uh, crypto mining where we're still in discussions with them about mm-hmm. working, but it's it's a it's an oil and gas team that's transferred themselves over to to doing um you know getting server racks and that sort of thing and and want to do analytics on server downtime and like there's a lot of things that are analogous in the oil and gas space.
0: The entire the entire bitcoin mining business model is very similar to oil and gas production. So instead of, you know, barrels that are flowing, you've got terahash.
1: Yeah, and I I I'm no expert on it yet, um but There does seem to be, those are kind of, they're kind of becoming like cousin industries. A lot of, a lot of flow from, from the oil and gas side over, over to Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. I mean, the next podcast that I'm recording today is as a new show, you guys are hearing it first. I haven't talked about any energizing Bitcoin. So it's a intersection of energy and Bitcoin mining podcast with a lot of the guys that are been leading the way since like day one. So it's a super, super interesting space. I don't know if you saw our Empower event that we did in March, which was focused on Bitcoin mining again and if you told me like like five years ago that we'd be doing anything with Bitcoin mining in the energy industry and the energy industry actually being interested in it, I'd be like, there's absolutely no way. But it's it's so wild. I think that once you see the implications of of, of Bitcoin mining and being able to put it on uh, assets that are stranded or energy that is stranded and it not only for one, make an economical, but totally change the game. There's certain things that once you see, you can't unsee. And it's just a natural kind of relationship. And and a lot of the guys that come from oil and gas are really the best suited to be these Bitcoin miners, right? They have like the the technical acumen and the the experience, particularly if you're going to be using something like flared natural gas to be able to power the Bitcoin mining machine. So I would expect that you guys will probably be getting a lot more interest in people asking you questions about that <laughs> coming yeah. up.
1: Yeah. And then past that, like there there's always a new accounting system. Like there's uh, really of, of all the,
0: that's like that's actually kind of like surprising to me because well, I thought there was a couple like just like big well, legacy but not, players
1: not like one that never existed before but just company <sighs> like companies use uh, there's just so some new ones um, so Cubite is one that we hadn't heard never, of before never, never, like that's one yeah. uh, this isn't new but like Wolf, so like Wolfpack
0: Wolfpack's been around a long time okay so
1: Wolfpack Cubite Bolo OG Sys OG Sys Inertia but then o g sys like there's now like on demand there's like the cloud version of it yeah um so there's there's five or six different accounting softwares that we're used to working with, and then there's four or five reserves engineering ones so it's part of the part of the 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 magic to it is getting all those different sources but then normalizing so that it's all it all comes back to like a, a set of core tables and and views that we can use to do what we normally do um so. Just from, from many different raw ingredients, like, we can consolidate it down to uh, the type of reporting that, like, the C-suite actually cares about.
0: Yeah. Man, I, I can't speak too much like, the oil and gas accounting systems, but, like, just generic accounting systems in general. Like, we've played around with so many of them. There needs to be, like, accounting systems for people who don't understand accounting. <laughs> like, like, tur- like, it tur- makes it turbo super, tax is like, yeah, essentially, like a turbo tax. Do you want to add yeah. any? Well, yeah, yes, it's like almost like maybe like the Nesh style, like how they have like their chatbot, but maybe it's like accounting via chatbot. It's like, I want to know this, like, how do I find that? Right? It's like, it's like QuickBooks is even as popular as it is, it's like, it's kind of like a shit show in terms of the user experience. Yeah, They've it. rebuilt it again recently, and I think it's, it's slightly better, but unless you have a good understanding of like how accounting actually works, which. I've got like enough to like get by, but it's really hard to use and it's hard to understand. And
1: yeah, one one of the best decisions that we ever made was to hire like a part time, like an hourly bookkeeper to do our accounting for us. Cause the first year or so of of JetRack, like I was doing the books and it gave me so much anxiety of like, I've got no idea what I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm following stuff here. I'm trying, like, I assume like I'm, I'm probably smarter than like the average person, filing this but like i've got no idea and it's just annoying like because it's not it's not in any way like how like it has to be done but it's in no way like furthering the business and so Mm -hmm. you're like angry while you're doing it and like i could look this up but i'm just gonna i'm just gonna say yes because this seems right yeah Um, and so we actually find a professional yeah that's that and that's maybe the analogy like the reason to work with jetrock is same sort of thing like if you're trying to get your different data sources together and it's just a nightmare it's like there are professionals out there yeah who've done this before and can knock it out
0: yeah i think it's having that self-awareness of knowing what you're good at and what you're not and we did the same thing we we hired a consulting firm opportune to come in mm-hmm. and these guys brilliant they're like way better than even this than us and it's been absolutely game-changing for us so yeah kind of the kind of the same thing there what is what's the north star for JetRock? what does JetRock look like three to five years from now
1: uh I want to keep on the same path that we're on of staying close to our clients. Like where I have personal relationships with like the, the the teams that we work with because I'm on the phone with them or in their office working. So um, we're not just like a help desk ticket. So I want to keep that. I want to keep adding. There's a lot of, you know, as this is the second podcast I've ever done. um, There's, Ninety-seven percent of the people listening will never heard of JetRock before, so we're we are now actually trying to like let the industry know that we exist, rather than just friends talking to friends. Yeah. Um, but I want to keep. Uh, I like the business model that we've landed on of steady engagements with a, a relatively limited number of of companies. Uh, Suit like doing a bunch of different things. Like we're not just selling. Here's one widget for your AFEs, or, you know, you can buy our software and that's just it forever. Cause that's, yeah. Justin and I like coming out of Drilling Info, we wanted it to be more custom and more useful because there's, you know, there's there's advantages to, to being a big company and, and producing software that everybody uses, but it's, it can end up being like useful to no one. Like everyone has it, but it's not that useful to anyone mm-hmm. For what they're actually trying to do. Because Everybody has their own preferences of how they
0: work, right? Yeah,
1: and everyone like everyone's got a different strategy. If yeah. everyone had the same strategy, no one would be making any money. Like everyone has to kind of find their own own place in the industry. Uh, and there's it's really exciting to hear like clients come to us with new ideas about like okay this is kind of crazy be like could we combine this and this and those are the most fun projects to work on um, you know to to create something new. Uh, so. I want to keep I want to keep growing in that regard. Um, well, and we'll we'll add staff as we need to. I mean, we're so we're self self funded, like bootstrapped, um, profitable. Like we've much I'm respect. Hold, it's a you
0: <laughs> can relate. It's a hard journey.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I Justin, and I really like being able to call the shots yeah. um, and and grow the company the way that we want. Um, so I I think you know we'll, we'll probably stay on that route of uh, old old school like you know earn more money that you spend on your business operations and then grow using that that cash flow yeah, just grow within cash flows yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Dude, this is super exciting um, you know it's still one of the you know like like I said my whole Background coming into the industry was was working on a lot of the same problems that you guys are now, and it's still, uh, in my opinion, one of the biggest issues. And it's an issue that continues to grow because as we're seeing now, there's a lot of momentum in the space. There's a lot of new people um, that are that are leaving their jobs that have identified some problems that they want to solve and are building, you know, new tech startups. And these companies are actually adopting them now. The issue is that now we've got more data than ever, and it's like, what do we what do we do with it all? Right? And you said something about measuring earlier, and it's always like, I think the question is like, what like, do you measure everything? I mean, cause we've, we've kind of gone down that path. A lot of companies have gone down that path or do you really hone in on what's like, why are you measuring what you're measuring and what is going to be the output kind of like for that? And there's like never been this much data ever. And it's going to continue to kind of like compound. So I think you guys have lots and lots of runway moving forward as, as the industry yeah,
1: continues some, to grow. Some talk I listened to, like they talked about like the problem of data obesity, where if you, if you measure everything, if you store everything forever, it can be impossible to find what you want. It's like, like kind Just of, like a, hoard, of like a hoarder, yeah. a hoarder situation. Um, and one of the way, like a, a, a philosophy that we have as we build things is like, you only grab the data you need. Like there might be 50 columns in a, in a table, mm-hmm. but if you only need three of them, only bring in three. And if the client tells you, okay, I want to add operating area, then you go back and get it because that keeps the whole data pipeline. Yeah. Lean. Um It doesn't, I feel like that probably doesn't sound that profound, but it's easy to say, oh, we'll just bring in all the columns. like, And then we'll figure yeah. out what we need. Uh, but then you end up like that slows that slows um, like project opening times down. It And it really, when you're in a, a call with a client and you have like a 200 column table and you're trying to find the Wolf can't be landing zone or, or whatever, you're, and you're sweating bullets because you can't find it. You wish that you had been a little bit more selective about
0: um yeah. you know what
1: what made it into your data but set. is anybody
0: like oh like but big data we need all of this there's insights that we can extract from that or is that something that is so far like over the heads of
1: like pe back well gobletters? they they leave it to us they say here are here are our data sources and what i start with is like what do you like what end result do you want to see and then we work backwards yeah. from w- which prior like what do we need to prioritize getting first which ta- like justin does the digging into the guts of it and figuring out what's in what table um, to bring it together. Um, but d- no one's demanding, you know, you have to bring in, bring in all the data. Yeah.
0: So for anybody who's listening, how do they find you guys? Is it JetRock?
1: rock? Okay. is the website. Um, yep. You'll find our, our info there.
0: And you're on, you're on LinkedIn. Your on LinkedIn. I am. Yeah. Everybody's Kevin,
1: Kevin Thewitt T H U O T. Uh, and also, so Zach Howard is our director of business development. Okay uh you yeah, think yeah. the one i talked to originally. yeah yeah, yeah he's okay. he reached out uh, yeah happy happy to chat with with anybody i mean it's it's good to know people in the industry regardless of any kind of business relationship so yeah. we we're happy to talk and answer questions about data challenges
0: awesome man dude it was great talking i love i love chopping it up over data yeah still all these years later it's something that's still <laughs> I'm yeah super it's, interested in
1: it's it's only getting bigger yeah,
0: yeah. It's continue it's continuing to become a larger problem and so I think you guys are, are very very well positioned to to continue to grow through that so yeah, awesome thanks good you, to meet man. you absolutely yeah. guys if you like the episode take two seconds um just open up your email put a link in there and share it with everybody that you work with that's what we want and uh I don't know when this episode is gonna go out but we will see you guys uh if it's not at Fuse this year it'll be fused next year so take care see you guys in the next episode go, 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 go.